I've never made a decision for money. Uh, and I and I really feel I want to say I'm saying this not to brag. I'm saying this for younger younger people, younger people striving for black excellence in whatever profession you're in. Don't make decisions for money. I'm from the pink apartments. You know what I mean? I used to eat bologna with the red thing on it. You know what I'm saying? Spam. <laughs> I'm making more money than I ever thought I'd make in my life. Uh, am I where I want to be? No. Right, I feel like I'm probably 10 years behind in my development where I should be uh, if I'd have made some better decisions when I was a young Thundercat, you know what I mean? Uh, but the one thing that I've never done is make a decision solely for money. I wanna create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. So our first interview was with C.Y. Young, the gorilla. Um, he's the assistant coach at Florida State men's basketball. And, you know, if anybody knows C.Y., you know you're going to have an entertaining conversation and enjoy that. Um, but, man, he got into some deep stuff and some things that I had never heard him really talk about before. Um, one thing that I really took away from this interview was you know, with the Black Exes in Sports podcast, we, we talk about helping others. And that was one thing that he brought up, the importance of mentorship in life and in your profession was something that he highlighted and thought was important. Um, I thought that was a really good, that was spot on what he said about that. And the thing that was really good uh, with that is obviously, can't talk about mentorship without talking about, you know, probably his number one mentor in his life. And, and obviously that's Coach Hamilton. And it was good for him to, to unpack uh, his admiration for him. And then really just talk about, you know, the things he received from him on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, see why I talked about how uh, we actually posed a question, you know, about him being a head coach again. And, and he said, man, I get a billion dollar education every single day by being under Coach Hamilton. You know, and he talks about how Coach Hamilton, Hamilton not only teach him how to be a leader, but but also be a CEO, you know. And so that was something that that I think was big time and obviously going to be very impactful for our audience to hear. Um, and then another thing, man, that that was huge in CY's interview is the, the fact that he loves where he's from. You know, he loves his family. He loves where he's from. And and, and I'm telling you, man, if you, if you know him, uh, you believe it. You know, you believe it and you see it. You know, he's not going to hide from where he's from. He's always going to shout out where he's from. He's, mm -hmm. uh, I felt like we knew his family tree when it was all said and done. He, he, right. he hit us with every single name on the, <laughs> that's right. under the sun that's, you know, that's back home, man. So it was exciting. We're looking forward to, uh, for you guys really to hear, hear the rest of this interview with CY. Absolutely. And he said, um, like I said, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said, you know, a sad, it was, it was something about a sad man not knowing who he is. Absolutely. Nothing, nothing sadder than a man for not knowing who he is. Yeah. That's the purpose of like black excellence and being black and things like that is just having pride in who you are, every aspect of who you are. Um, and I also want to talk about, uh, just piggyback again on what you said of that, about that billion dollar education. 
we've lost the value of learning and and watching people work. And when you when you have the opportunity to watch somebody watch somebody work and to and to really learn and take in like he does with Coach Hamilton every day, you can really prepare yourself for the next your next opportunity or your next stage of life. So we're gonna stop talking about it. Uh, we're gonna let you guys enjoy it. Make sure you get your pen, your notebook. Um, be ready to take notes. Be ready to really enjoy this conversation. And here we go. Without further ado, here's our interview with CY Young. Coach, welcome to the show. Um, guys, we got the gorilla, Coach CY Young, assistant men's basketball coach at Florida State University. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be the first guest. <laughs> that, I that, appreciate that's got to be something special. Uh, a lot. It means a lot, big dog. It means a lot. Absolutely. Well, this is the Black Excellence Podcast. We want to hear your story, your voice, and your testimony to help unlock the greatness in others, to help inspire other people to unlock their greatness. And we got one question for you. Since this is the, the Black Excellence Podcast, Coach, okay. how do you define Black excellence? When you think about it, what comes to mind? Um, I, I think for me, uh, the word philanthropy comes to mind. You know, I, that's the first big word I learned in school, philanthropist. Uh, when I heard somebody was a philanthropist, I wanted to be that. Oh, that's a good word. I want to be that. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, I still don't have enough money to qualify to be a philanthropist. <laughs> I'm still a broke college coach uh, with a wife and four kids. So, uh, but I try to be a philanthropist uh, in other areas. Uh, by giving of knowledge and wisdom and uh, the longer you're on this earth you realize that probably the most important word in civilization is mentorship you know nobody makes it to the promised land without having somebody to show them the way it's, it's very uh, important to have mentors in every facet of life basketball coaching business uh, music, whatever you get into, uh, I would encourage all young people on their journey to success to seek mentorship, to seek it out, to be aggressively, to say, hey, I need some help. I ain't never been here before. I got a passion and I want to do this, but I'm trying to go somewhere I've never been before. And uh, as a young coach, just applying that to myself, uh, if I had it to do over again, that's what I would do better. You know, I was a knucklehead, knuckle hardhead, thought I could do everything by myself. Uh, I should have reached out to more people to ask for help and mentorship uh, on my journey as a coach. So, you know, to tie back in the, to the original question, uh, I think Black Excellence is somebody who's have shown uh, a high level of achievement and success, but also somebody that reach back, reach back, reaches back and mentors the next, the next coming. That would be my definition of black excellence. Now, Coach, you talk about mentors. Obviously, as you, as you start talking about that, you spoke highly about mentors. Who's a mentor, someone that's been in your life that you can kind of point that finger at and say that individual 
deems black excellence? Man, I've, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. Uh, I've had people to kind of just fall into my life, uh, starting from high school, uh, when I got recruited to Georgia Southern, a guy by the name of Robbie Lane, uh, who was a great mentor for me. Uh, when I, uh, there was another coach on staff by the name of Mike Backus, uh, who was a mentor for me. Uh, uh, obviously, Paul Hewitt, when I was coming up on the Georgia Tech, was a great mentor for me. Uh, Jalen Hamilton has been a phenomenal mentor for me. Uh, I would have to think that of all the great mentors I've had, no disrespect to any of them, uh, he has probably been the most pivotal. Pivotal. Uh, me, I'm from I'm from 27th Avenue and 183rd Street, Carroll City, and uh, I was blessed. Uh, I hit. I never had rich on money, but wealthy on money. Uh, but I was wealthy on love, come from a real strong family. Uh, my father, I was probably one of the few guys in the neighborhood that had a dad. My father, Anthony Young, uh, my grandfather, Edward Howard Young III, they call him Shockey and Opalaka. Uh, my uncle, my uncle Edward, they call him Sarge. Um, I had some uncles that, uh, one who passed, we call him Lamp, named Eugene Young. Uh, the guys in my family, I had a big cousin named, we call him Papa, <laughs> the street called him Head, uh, Edward Young. That's, so th those guys were, they mentored me in the neighborhood and then it kind of, those other guys, as I got into basketball, the professional world, uh, those other guys topped it all. So I've, I've been blessed every walk of the way to have somebody that I could kind of emulate and learn from and throw things off of. I've been blessed. My mom and dad was here for my baby boy's birthday was July 3rd, uh, right before the holiday, the 4th of July. And uh, my mom and dad came up from Atlanta. They live in Atlanta and they came up for baby boy's birthday and they didn't leave until, that was July 2nd, they ain't leave till the, till the uh, night, what's the day? The tenth. Yeah, so they they come up, you know. My dad uh, and and my mother's is has been huge in my life also. You know, I'm 48, 49 years old, and uh, my mom will come to the house with the kids, and she fussing at me about this and that. So I still get in trouble by my mama at 48 years old. You know, I'm blessed to have a mom and parents. This is a strong family. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, structure. I, I've been blessed with that. And uh, they definitely, all those people mentor. Coach, touch on this real quick, because again, man, I think everybody that's gonna hear this uh, knows your admiration for Coach Hamilton. Where, where did that all, where, where did that start? And why is your, why does your love for him drive so deeply? I, I know, I know I've heard you speak highly about him for a very long time. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a number of things. Um, that's a great question. There's a number of things. Uh, first of all, uh, should have played for him. Uh, should have played for him. It's just funny how he, boy, he still, he still, <laughs> he still wears me out about that. Uh, I came out of Miami, Carroll City in 1989. Back then, University of Miami 
was not very good. They had not had basketball in 20 or 30 years. So Bill Foster was the coach. And University of Miami was an independent. They weren't in a conference. They didn't have an arena. You know, I played in the hood league and the city league. I had a big rep. Miami players were not respected. <laughs> so where I'm from, respect is the ultimate currency, not money, not jewel, respect. So I couldn't go to Miami. Well, he gets the job the year after I signed with Georgia Southern. Back then, Georgia Southern had just had Jeff Sanders, who was a first-round draft pick to the Chicago Bulls. Mike Curry, who played the Detroit Pistons, who I also need to put in that list of mentors for me. He, 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 he was big bro to me. He was a senior when I was a freshman, uh, hosted me on my visit. And ever since that relationship we built on my visit, me and him, we've been tight. He's been a huge mentor for me also, Mike Curry. Uh, he was my senior. He still called me freshman right now today. But uh, going back to Jalen Hamilton, he got the job. I was the rookie of the year in the league. So when I came home to play in the summer league, all of his, all of his street sweepers was like, you know, Jalen Hamilton can't talk to you, but it's time for you to come back to the 305. We building it at Miami. You need to come home. You know what I mean? But I couldn't. I, I was so loyal to the opportunity they gave me. They gave me the ball as a freshman. I couldn't do it. So fast forward, you know, my playing career is over, and I go into coaching, and he's wearing me out. Man, you supposed to come help me in Miami. I couldn't get you. That's, we, we know what we did together, boom, boom. But he started mentoring me in coaching, even though he didn't get me. Um, so I started realizing, man, this guy, he helps a lot of people. And he's a big, I mean, arguably the premier African-American head coach in the country. But he's a guy, I watch him, and I'm an, amaze, an amazement because he understands. I am not Nelson Mandela. You know what I mean? I am not. Uh, Martin Luther King, I did not make the cure for cancer. All I do is coach basketball. And he carries himself with a tremendous amount of humility. If you sat down next to him and had a conversation, he would start laughing and joking and talking. And you, in your mind, you got, man, this Jay Leonard Hamilton who I see on TV. But when you talk to him, you know what I mean? It's just like, just a genuine good person. And uh, I admire that that he has not let, you know, a lot of these coaches in our business, let's face it, big time coaches, uh, they think they're Martin Luther King now. They sit high and look low. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to make an appointment to <laughs> meet with them. You know what I'm saying? Man, I got, all you do is coach basketball now. Calm down. You know what I mean? And so I've always, I've always admired the amount of humility how he's never let the business change him, how he's never lost sight of who he is as a person and his commitment to just help people. Uh, I just, I've been always have the ultimate respect for that. Yeah. I, I had heard him on a podcast once and it just blew me away. He immediately started talking about faith and how much he wanted to give back. And I just was like, wow, like I was, like that that was one of the things that inspired this podcast was when I heard him, I was like, wow, like 
you don't hear this stuff, you know, ESPN, how much, how much faith has played a part in his life and things like that. I'm like, man, we, we need more of this. He, he, he's a different dude. Let me, let, let me give you a story. You know, I, when I tell people all the time, I don't get emotional. I read the doubt. So I, I hate people that blurt stuff out. You know what I mean? If somebody just blurts something out with no data to back it up, you know, I clown. I, don't, I, I can't, my mind can't handle that. So when I make a statement, I, like you learn in English 151, you back it up and you say, for example, for instance. See, they even taught us that at Carroll City, for example. <laughs> so, so here's an example of Jalen Hamilton, all right? So I, I get here the first year and uh, we play VCU in Puerto Rico. Now, there's a kid that plays for VCU by the name of Terrence Shannon. Terrence Shannon used to play for Florida State. Played four years here, left as a grad transfer. We didn't want him to leave. Coach Hamilton did not want to leave, begged him to stay. He goes to VCU. We play them. We beat them in Puerto Rico. We all hug the kid, you know, first class. The kid hugs the staff. All good. We come to the summer, and I come to camp. Now, at camp, you know, you got all the team camps, and I'm, I'm going in, meeting the coaches, greeting all the kids, trying to welcome everybody. I look in the gym, and Terrence Shannon is coaching camp. He's working camp. So now I'm thinking, hold on now. This boy transferred from Florida State. He left us high and dry. Gave VCU all the plays, and he gonna come back here and work camp. <laughs> so I say to Jalen Health, I said, "Man, what's going on, man? You got?" He said, "Hey, Chi. He just was immature. He want our babies. Wow. We gonna take care of him. We gonna pay him to work camp. We gonna help him get a job when he finished. I love him." I ain't mad at him. I ain't trying to fight. He was just immature. And I'm thinking, wow, now you know me. I'm loyalty, you know what I mean? I'm 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 I'm, I'm loyalty. You know what I mean? You can't do that now. Coach Hamilton said, hey, man, coach boy work camp. He helped him finish school, helped the boy get a job. I said to myself that day. You gonna win that championship. <laughs> you gonna win that championship. Cause any other coach in America, the kid transfers and walks away and try to come back and work out. What y'all tell him? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> no! No! Call VCU. <laughs> you know what I'm saying that's who he is to his core. It's amazing to watch. So. He really helped me grow and mature as a leader, as a coach. You know, he helped me uh, improve my emotional intelligence, which I needed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want our audience to hear what he said, right? So after after Coach had did that, that selfless act, right, his assistant said, oh, you're going to win a national championship. Oh, I told him that day. Yeah. Right. right, right. So I want the audience to, like, understand that, like, it's not about the things that we think we see or things that looks like it's cool. 
is your character. And that could be pointed out at any time. And Aisha, nobody knew it wasn't in the paper. It wasn't on the internet. It wasn't on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Snap Up, Snap Down, Snap to the side. Well, none of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And he did it. And he didn't ask for no credit. I was like, you gonna win a national title. And I'm gonna help you. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure they put you in the Hall of Fame, G. And that's where that kind of love for him grows. You know, and, 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 and the thing I also I, I respect about him so much is you looking at a guy that is always in control of his emotional intelligence. You watch a game, you can't tell that we up 20 or down 20. You can't tell. So he makes good decisions all the time on the court, off the court, because he don't get emotional. Uh, he manages our program by one simple line. And you heard me say it several times. Gotta miss class, gotta do something he's supposed to do. Gotta get in trouble. Hey, I love you. I ain't mad at you. I ain't trying to fight. But you ain't playing too. Okay. <laughs> That's it, you ain't playing. Ain't no screaming, hooping and hollering. And I respect that so much because People respect him because they feel like we got a guy that's always in control that's going to make good decisions. You know, when I was a young coach, I, oh, 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 oh. people lose respect for you when you, don't, when you can't control your emotional intelligence and you make bad decisions. I learned that through the mentorship of Jalen Hamilton. See, why that's a man that's powerful, first and foremost. And that, that, that speaks to a test of not only who he is, but who you are as well, you know what I mean? For you to be able to to see through his character and see the man that he is and say, man, look, I'm, cause let's, let's face it, man, you're one of the best assistants in the country and we all know that, right? Mm -hmm. And you have, and I'm sure you've already had plenty of other opportunities to be a head coach again. So it says a lot about who he is as a person, but like I said, you as well to say, nah, man, I'm gonna stand here. Like mm -hmm. if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's, I think that's big to see two black men being able to, to have that amount of success with one another. And then at the end of the day, for one another, because just as much as you're for him, it, it really seems like he's for you as well. Um, so man, that, that's that's big time story to hear, man. Appreciate you sharing that. You hit the nail on the head. You know, I the way I see it, um, you know, it would be an honor to be known as Jalen Hamilton's right hand man. Uh, I've been offered a couple low to mid-major jobs since I've been here. Uh, to be honest, the most stress, and I was a head coach at Georgia Southern, so I understand that level and how hard it is. Uh, the toughest thing is I've been offered some, some high-major assistant spots. So I make way more money than I make here now. <laughs> but I've never made a decision for money. Uh, and I and I really feel I want to say I'm saying this not to brag I'm saying this for younger younger people younger people striving for black excellence in whatever profession you're in don't make decisions for money 
I'm from the pink apartments. You know what I mean? I used to eat bologna with the red thing on it. You know what I'm saying? Spam. <laughs> I'm making more money than I ever thought I'd make in my life. Uh, am I where I want to be? No. Right? I feel like I'm probably 10 years behind in my development where I should be uh, if I'd have made some better decisions when I was a young Thundercat. You know what I mean? Uh, but the one thing that I've never done is make a decision solely for money. I think you get yourself in trouble, big trouble when you when you do that. So uh, the happiness and the relationship I have with our, not just Jalen Hamilton, but our entire staff, I give our entire staff a shout out. Uh, Stan Jones, our associate head coach, Steve Smith, Mike Bradley, our strength coach, Rob Buecher, our film guy. Like we got a hot Miss Renee Andrews. I'm saying some prayers for her husband, Mark Andrews, who's sick right now. Uh, we are a family uh, here. Uh, Jared Lazarus has moved with, on our staff. We, Jalen Hamilton has put together a Fortune 500 company. Our organization uh, is very, very tight-knit, very good, uh, very good. Um, so I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't pull the trigger on another job because I get a billion dollar education and how to be a head coach and CEO, right? Yes. So the way I see it is, you know, every day I get, I could never repay him for the billion dollar education on how to be a head coach and CEO. Now, when I was a head coach, I was a heck of a division one head coach. I was a terrible CEO. <laughs> you got to learn and grow. You know right. what I mean? And, 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 um, say it again, Aisha. I said, I always remember when you talk about that at a step up, you say, um, you know, a head coach got, got to be a CEO. And you talk about how baseball got it right. And I, I even, I referenced that like a few weeks ago when we were talking about baseball. Um, college baseball game. got it right. See, baseball, that's good. Girl, you remember that? <laughs> You're a young gorilla, ain't you, girl? Yeah, listen, baseball got it right. Baseball called the coach the manager. Yeah, yeah cool. You'll never hear in baseball, they say the head coach coming out to the mound. You don't hear that. <laughs> the manager is coming to the mound to talk to this boy because he, he throwing up. He, he, they hit home runs on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so as a head coach, you got to be a head coach and CEO. Mm -hmm. And at 37 years old, I'm the youngest division one head coach in the country at the time. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I was tough as a head coach, but as a CEO, that's where I had to get better. And I see that now, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's why God orders your steps. You know, I had to go through that. You know, I had some, I had some good moments and I had some bad, I feel like it was a putt that was around the edge of the green that I was trying to get to go in. But now, you know, I, I, I have so much fun here, you know, and so much enjoyment with these kids we have and the culture we have. Mm -hmm. uh, the level of talent we have, the level of character we recruit, uh, we have really turned our program into an elite top five program. You know, a lot of people say, go play for a blue blood. And we say, we new blood, come play for new blood. Absolutely. And um, we, we, we were, were producing on a level of consistency that I'm very proud of, proud to be a part of. Uh, so the way I see it, if I can help Jalen and Hamilton win a national championship, maybe, maybe two, maybe get to a couple Final Fours, and make sure he get in the Hall of Fame, uh, and then I'll move on down the road. 
do whatever I'm gonna do. You know what I mean? But I, I think I gotta finish the job. I, I gotta help him. It's important for the legacy of black. I want his name to be synonymous with women. You know what I mean? Because he done had some rough jobs. Man. You know how bad people talk about you when you the head coach? You know the stuff he had to endure mm -hmm. that he had to hear as he was filled in these programs? They talk about you bad now. <laughs> Being a head coach is grown man business. So now that he's winning and he's on top to see him kind of starting to finally get his due, that's so rewarding for me. And I think if we could put together a couple more campaigns like we have the last seven years that he he really will get in the hall of fame and, and win one nice well let's transition to you um for a little bit coach i mean we can talk about coach hamilton all day long but i, I want to know from you what what separates you as a black man um, in your life and in your career um you know I, I, that, that's a good question um there's a few things, there's a few things. The first thing is what separated me, I think, is I had a unbelievable, like I said, I hit the lottery in terms of a father and a mother, a loving home. Even though we didn't have much, we was, we was rich and wealthy on love and support. And not just my mom, but that my, my, my entire family. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm Charlton James Young, right? I'm of the Opelika, Liberty City, Carroll City, Youngs and Williams. You understand? I know who that, who I am. And I'm proud of that. You know what I mean? I'm raised 16140 Northwest 28th Court, Opelika. 20237 Northwest 32nd Place, Carroll City. Ain't nothing sadder than a man that don't know who he is. Oh, that's a good one. That is good. Yeah. My grandfather is Elwood Howard Young III. Right? Call him Shock. My grandmother was Inez Young. So I think what separated me is that I was I was rich on love and from a strong family that had a lot of pride. And uh, I think having that pride in my last name of the family I'm from. You know, I got a cousin named Goof, a cousin named Wooga, and a cousin named Head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got an uncle named Lamp. <laughs> right? And so a lot of people don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, they, they're proud of little CY. You know what I mean? I was, uh, they proud, they brag all over Miami. You know, I, I know what I'm representing. Uh, every time I walk on the sideline or every time I do what I do, even when I was playing, right? I played for my last name. I, I think uh, that and the ability to uh, make uh, good decisions under stress. You know, when you grow up in Carroll City, you got to make three decisions a day that's going to save your life. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you you, you got to make three decisions a day. You know, for example, for instance, <laughs> you know, I'm standing on 27th Avenue. I'm in the eighth grade, ninth grade. A couple guys I grew up, they pull up in the gray bins. I say, hey, man, who caught it? He said, man, come here. We're going to 163rd Street Mall. I said, who bins was that? They said, it's my uncle car. 
Now, ain't nobody around here got more than $3, $300 to check out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. My uncle car, he live in Boca Raton. Nah, chief, I'm good. I'm going to be right here. Oh, you scared? You a No, nah, I'm going to be right here. Don't worry about it. Long story short, arrested, stolen car, went to jail at 15, 16, vehicular homicide, car had a body on. Mm. Now, if I hop in that car and ride the 163rd Street Mall, you ain't talking to me on this phone, right? You ain't talking to me right now. Mm -mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That one decision, that that, that thing right here to say, ah, I had a couple of my partners got in the car. They looking at me like, help me, see why help me. Man, tell them, boys, you ain't going. Because I ain't going. <laughs> I'm going to be right here on this corner. I'm not going. And so I think about that. Like, growing up, I had so many situations like that. That if I would have just, you know, it's a game of inches. Mm -hmm. You make a left when you're supposed to make a right. It, it so, might not go. So what did that, like, that that self-awareness or that, you know, that mentality, like, I ain't going, you know what I'm saying? It's easy to be like, most most people would be like, oh, shoot, they, they getting in the car, I'm getting in the car too. So what what kind of dig into that a little bit within yourself? Like, I ain't I going. Was, I was scared of Betty Young and Anthony Young. Hey, <laughs> 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 I, I, I will go take that pound then when I get, get back to 20237. Some people say, Whooping your kids ain't good. I don't know. It saved me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just joking when I say that. You know, we the new era. You can't joke like that. That was a joke. Like, you got to teach your kids and talk to them. But uh, I just have a strong, a strong uh, presence in the house help me to make decisions that I'm, I might not have made. You know, I might not have made. Them boys go around the corner and they steal motorbikes. They bring them back home to the house and sell the parts. I can't bring no motorbike back to my house. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Betty Young go go crazy. You, you, you see? So it was it was just a different, it was a different thing. I was blessed. I said at the beginning, I was blessed. Right? I'm a firm believer that your steps are ordered by the Lord. Amen. You know what I mean, they ordered. I mean, it was the way I fell into what I'm doing now at Florida State, all I can tell you is. It is meant to be. This was where I was supposed to be. When I got fired as the head coach of Georgia Southern, my alma mater, the program I built, helped put on the map. Oh, man. I was devastated. I lay in the bed for three days in my underwear watching Law and Order. <laughs> you know, my name just coming up across the bottom of ESPN. 43 and 84, Charlton C.Y. Young, fire, Georgia Sun. I said, man, let me turn back to law and order. <laughs> but then I did, when the smoke cleared, I said, man, this is why that happened. I had to go through that. So that's another thing we have in the term, talking about black excellence and people not only in coaching, but in other professions that's trying to get to a place. You got to go through something to get there now. And that pain and that failure and that adversity that you running from, that very adversity and pain is gonna be what takes you to the next level. Absolutely. And you don't know and you don't know that. 
You know what I mean? I didn't know that until I saw the smoke clear. When the smoke clear, I said, that's why God put me through that. Mm-hmm. So what was one of the um what was one of the lessons that you learned, you know, that probably was kind of a low moment for you? Um, so what was kind of one of the lessons that you learned in that moment or, you know, that, you know, just something that you learned or that you would do over? And, you know, we know that, you know, our steps are ordered and we wouldn't really change anything with what would happen. But well, what could I have done better? What, well, yeah, what could have you done better or, or what's something that you learned in that experience? Well, I could write down a lot. Uh, I could write down a lot. But I, I, I would think, though, the number one thing I would write for me is I would do a better job controlling my emotional intelligence. When I first got the job, I thought I could be, that the program was dead. It was three scholarships taken, an academic scandal and probation. That's why I got the job, because it wasn't in great shape. Uh, and I felt like I needed to breathe new life into the program. They hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since 1992. I took them. I was the MVP of the tournament. They still haven't been. And I wanted to be the guy so bad to take us back to the promised land. You know what I mean? And uh, because I, I I had that stress of wanting to do that so bad, I felt like I could be like the the black Bruce Pearl, just just be energetic, just get everybody going, just just pull us off the map. But what I learned is when when you give the appearance that you're out of control or you're fired, you think you've given the appearance that you fired up. Some people perceive that as out of control. So if I had to do something over again, I would do a better job of always controlling my emotional intelligence. And I'm always going to have that Betty Young in me. That's my mama. Like my dad is real like Billy D. Williams, calm, you know. He's come see me play. I have 30. He would be embarrassed. He'd be like, son, Clyde Frazier ain't do all that hooping and hollering like that. You know what I mean? Why are you running around fighting and screaming and hollering? But my mother is, if I brought my mother on this show, you would think she was my twin older sister. You know what I mean? Like she amped all the time. And so I'm just like her. Uh, but if you're going to be in leadership, you're going to be a CEO. People lose respect for you when you don't control your emotional intelligence. So I've, I've gotten, I still got a way to go now. I've gotten tremendously better being around Jalen Hamilton. But uh, I think uh, that Betty Young is always in there that I got to try to control. See why you, you talked earlier about um, how you were a really good head coach, but you were a bad CEO. So right now, somebody that's a, a black young head coach right now is listening to this. Touch on, touch on the examples of what you mean that made you a good head coach, but a bad CEO that may be able to help them. Very, very, very good. Um, for instance, for example, <laughs> um, I, I, I think that uh, the players that played for me uh, the players that played for me, uh, they knew I loved them. And they played hard for me because 
they knew I loved it. And they knew that I had been in their shoes and I had played with guys in that same locker room that did not take advantage of the opportunity they had. So I used to tell them all the time, championship people win championships. So all the guys I played with that was on time, that was uh, stayed late, uh, that took care of their body, that didn't get involved with the alcohol, that didn't get involved with the drugs, that stayed focused. Now that we were adults, they were all coaches and agents and successful businessmen. All the guys that I played with that I've been smoking, I've been drinking, <laughs> all them guys that was doing all that, now that we were older, all those guys were struggling in their life. So I used to tell the kids, listen, when I see you conducting yourself in a way that doesn't turn into success, I feel pressure. Because you think I'm fussing at you about basketball. And I don't even see basketball. I see life. I'm trying to keep you from busting that jailhouse wide open. Right. I'm trying to keep you from living in the back room with your grandmom at 39 years old. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to do. But I didn't go about it the right way. So my heart was in the right place, but I didn't deliver the message the right way. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely. But I but listen, I, I loved them more than probably anybody else could because I I had been in that seat and I know, see, I can look at you. I, I go recruit kids, I evaluate kids. This is a true story. I can watch a kid, I can go to practice. And if a kid starts on the end line, runs all the way down the court, and he stops four yards and turn around and run back the other way, I'm not recruiting him. I don't care if he get 30, something wrong with his mind, coach. Something wrong with his mind. He ain't going to be successful. Coach, I'm 48 years old with a bad back. If I run all the way down the court, when I get down there, I'm going to stick my leg out and touch the line. Now. I ain't going to run all the way down here and not touch the line. My mind ain't going to let me do that. Successful people touch every line. You understand? You know what I mean? I can look at a guy, and I, I tell him in the locker room, now see, this boy right here, he ain't that good. But he going to own Starbucks or 22 car dealership. I can tell the way he practice. He always early. He late. Now you, you ain't a bad kid, but you sorry. You going to be selling slushies at Circle K. I love you. I'm going to come buy some slushies from you. But you... You probably sleep on a mattress with no sheet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Got Doritos all in the bed when I come to your room. <laughs> right? I, I, can, I can see it. So championship, people win championships. And when you recruit a kid and you're coaching a kid, successful inside the line, successful outside the line. If, you, if he ain't, is not successful inside the lines because of his character, that same behavior is going to be outside the line. So I had that on me. I loved the kids too much probably. And I didn't always 
deliver the message as a CEO and teach them the way I should because I felt pressure. I was trying to save their life because I saw, see, I seen the end of the movie. You know what I mean? I tell them all the time. See, I seen the end of the movie. <laughs> you know, you watch the beginning of the movie. You're talking about this is a good movie. But you know what happened at the end of Set It Off? All of them got killed. <laughs> except Everybody. one. Except yeah, one. Jada Pinkett. <laughs> and she had to catch a bus. You already know. To Mexico with a wig on. <laughs> with, the police, with the police looking. <laughs> but at the, at the beginning of the movie, now they was on the car. Oh, it was fun. Okay. I seen the end of the movie. That's why I tell these young Thundercats all the time. Now, you trick yourself or you trick me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I see. I know what the end of the movie looked like, man. Cole, you don't know me? Man, I seen. I know what you going to do for you. Do it for you thinking. And so that's why I got into coaching, to, to save them, to help them. But being a young 37-year head coach and wanting to win, but also wanting to set them up for life as a CEO emotionally, you know, they do one little thing wrong. I was, you know what I mean? You can't do that. You know what I'm saying? But I was trying to prepare for life. Mm -hmm. So those are things you learn as you you grow and you're in the business and you're on the job. And, you learn a better way to, to get that message across. Absolutely. Okay, for young men. Yeah, yeah. So um, let, let's talk about a, a high moment in your career, coach, or something, you know, something that happened that, that you just was like, wow, like, this is really happening to me? Like, what, what's, a, what's a moment that, that was a really high moment for you in your career? This year. This year was, was bittersweet. But winning the ACC regular season title was, it was, I mean, I, I, I got my neck right up here on my, on my desk. Like, I, I mean, for us, I mean, Florida State has never won the ACC regular season title. And it's so hard. You know, when I first got here seven, eight years ago now, we wasn't, we weren't very good now. <laughs> we were struggling. And. You know, we used to talk like, hey, man, that's just, that's just trying to get in the tournament. You know, that's how we, you know, we, man, we said it real low. That's just trying to get in. But then we started building it, uh, and we got pretty good, you know. And then we kept finishing third in the league, you know. But nobody want to say, we number three. We number three. No, nobody say that. You know, so we started selling and recruiting. Listen. We the third best program in the ACC, but we tired of screaming. We number three. We want to flip the league. Now, obviously, flipping the league is heavy, right? You got Virginia. They ain't moving. You got Carolina. You got Duke. They're, they're a billion-pound gorilla. So you got three programs that ain't moving. So for us to build it, and finally see our name move ahead of Duke, Carolina, Virginia. That was, that was unreal. I mean, it's still surreal. And God works in mysterious ways. They canceled the tournament. We was the number one seed. We, we would have had a really good shot at winning a national title. But for us to get to win the regular season title, beat Boston College on our home court, and celebrate with our fans and the city, 
it was it was it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I tear up every time I think about it because nobody thought they'd ever see the day where them Florida State Seminoles was winning the ACC. They look at it now and say, is that football? No. Florida State is a new blood in basketball now. And we here. And we ain't going nowhere. We here to stay. They act like we just got here. But we've been here for the last seven years. Three years ago, we was 47 seconds from the Final Four. It was in the Elite Eight. You understand? Mm -hmm. 47 seconds. Michigan got us. We'd have been in the Final Four, and we'd have got Loyola Chicago in the first round. We probably, I mean, in the first, in the semi. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we could have beat Villanova, but we would have, we'd gave them a tussle. They want to win a national championship that year. But, but I guess we've been to the tournament four or five years straight, sweet, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, ACC regular season title. You know, our home record at home, I mean, our home record is crazy. You know, the winning percentage in the ACC, 75, 78%. Like, we, we really are, we really have turned the program into the league top five program. But I didn't mean to get into all that, but winning the regular season, cutting down those nets, Pretty special. Pretty special. Now, now everybody knows or asked Coach Hamilton what was his message to the players, to the program after obviously the season ended abruptly like it did. Take everybody back to what you said to the players and to those around you in the program. Because obviously, you know, we, we're going to hear what the head coach say. People are going to ask that. But how did you approach that situation? Because obviously you spent a lot of time with those guys, recruited a lot of guys developed a lot of the guys to even get to that moment. And so now that you guys are in, in reach of achieving everything you've been working so long for, and to see it obviously come to an end that way, what, what was your message? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. When it first happened, I couldn't even talk. <laughs> I, I didn't show good leadership at all. I was devastated. I was devastated for the kids, you know, devastated for the coaches, for the program, you know, for our administration, our fans. You know, Florida State basketball fan, they've been waiting a long time to, to, to be able to say we number one. And uh, it was hard. But then after it was over and you realize that they were making a great decision in terms of the health of the kids and everybody, uh, you know, we were in the crock pot. We didn't have all the information. We like, man, let us play, let us play, let us play. But then when we got home and started evaluating, you said, oh, man, this COVID-19 is a serious situation. Then you just became thankful for what you did get to experience. Uh, I, I really was hurt for uh, Dominic and Trent Forrest, uh, our seniors, especially Trent Forrest. Uh, Dominic Olenicic was a fifth-year transfer from Ole Miss who had a big part in us winning it, huge part. His leadership, his physicality, his unselfishness, he's a special, special kid. But Trent Forrest was a special kid. Trent Forrest was a kid that we had been recruiting since the eighth grade. Stan Jones went over there when he was seventh, eighth grade, uh, identified him, the entire staff recruiting him from eighth grade all the way up to his senior year. I mean, he was born to play point guard at Florida State. His cousin was running back, Amp Lee, who played on the football team. He's from Chipley, Florida, right down the road. 
he comes here, he does everything right. He's a four-year guy. You know, he probably, you know, still going to be a second-round pick. But he would have played his way into the first round if he would have been able to make that run to the tournament. And, you know, so he he probably lost the most. And he sacrificed a ton coming here and uh, playing with all the great players that he came in with. You know, he came in with Jonathan Isaac. Uh, but he was here with Bacon and Mann and Kamigeli and Kamadi. So he was the guy that was keeping everybody happy. I just really wanted to see him get an opportunity to cut the nets down and win a national title. So it, it, it hurt me for him because he he gave his heart and soul to Florida State basketball, heart and soul. But, you know, again, you got to be thankful for what, we did get a chance to experience, and what we experienced was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Absolutely, it was. Now, Coach, um, the the way me and you met, we met through a step up symposium, and it might be some um, li some listeners um, that we have, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how important is it to do professional development, or should I really invest my money into? traveling and doing all these things to go to these clinics or symposiums what and also you're very um involved in stuff but you're on the board your board member so can you explain a little bit of how important it is to to attend those and you know what what part have professional development played in your life and your career uh i i think it's everything um i got into business in, in 1994 and uh, back then, it was the Black Coaches Association. Uh, that was my first taste of professional development. And after I went the first time, it helped me grow so much and took the wool over my eyes. 26 years later, I'm always involved with some type of professional development. I try to go to two or three of them a year. Uh, with a step up, I wound up teaching a lot. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> I still go to all the seminars and I learned so much, you understand? Know and I just don't think any, I would give the advice to any young coach every year when the season is over, you need to be in, you need to be involved with at least three professional development symposiums. Even if you're in another profession, uh, business, accounting, whatever it is, marketing, whatever it is, you need to be involved with three professional development symposiums a year so that you can continue to evolve and evolve at a fast pace. You know, I think about things I learned. Uh, I heard a speaker at Simpo at uh, Step Up. And Step, Step Up is amazing. Uh, shout out to Felicia Hall Allen, Johnny Allen, our entire board, uh, the information that, that we're giving out, the development, and uh, just what we're doing for coaches in the game is, is amazing. Um, but I, I, I will tell anybody this, even though I wind up teaching, it's amazing how I pick up two or three things every year that just changes me at a step up. You know, I heard a speaker, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, because I got a lot of notes, but it was just one speaker. And she said, and it stuck with me to this day. She said, nine out of 10 people would rather die than change. That blew me away. That's I'm true. Sure no she said, "Not a speaker at a step up." And I got her notes at, at, at my office at the house, and I was looking. I picked them up. Was looking through another day. 
but it touched my soul. And I said, you know what? That can't be me, right? I'm, I'm going to continue to evolve. She said, nine out of 10 people rather die than change and get better. And I thought about my grandfather. I thought about my grandfather. My grandfather, we came to him, we said, hey, man, you got to change your diet. You got to start, you got to stop eating bacon. He said, if y'all want me to stop eating bacon, y'all can start saying amazing grace right now. <laughs> y'all can bear me right now. Two years later, he was gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's, a, it's amazing how you can become that stubborn on anything. And that's just, that's, that's a very dangerous thing as a human being that's trying to be successful in any arena. You gotta be willing to evolve and change, you know, and it's, it's hard. It's hard, like me, you know, I'm from the 1900s. I'm driving now, I got AirPods, <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotta be, gotta be involved with social media. You know, it's, it's, it's things that put, put you out of your comfort zone, but you gotta do it. Because if you don't evolve now, you're gonna be extinct like a dinosaur. That's, that's just what it is. You know, when the last time you seen a dinosaur walking down I 95? You, you ain't gonna see one. <laughs> they gone, <with> you. <laughs> hey, you know, I, people always ask me about my playing days. You know what I mean? I tell them all the time, I got some VHS tapes for you now. You just ain't got no VCR. <laughs> <laughs> but I got just started on Twitter, you still you still the uh the top three point shooter. Yeah, see the young thundercats think whatever happened pre-internet didn't happen. That's not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? See why you still got a VCR? I know you still got that VCR. Yeah, I got two of them in my garage. <laughs> Every now and then, I got to show my daughter my tapes. Right? My tapes in, baby. <laughs> Just real quick, I want to. I want to know this because obviously, man, you're you're a, you're a special individual, man, and, and obviously a lead in our profession. But this is something to change it up a little bit. Who would Charlton Young be? All right, if he wasn't a basketball coach. Good question. If I wasn't a basketball coach, I'd probably be a basketball coach. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd say that. I, if I wasn't a basketball coach, I'd probably be uh, working at UPS or FedEx, coaching kids on Risco Park in Carroll City. You know what I mean? Now, I, 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 you know what? This is this this a this is this, this a human you. Uh, in '93, 1993, I had to do an internship at Channel 46 in Atlanta. It was an independent station to graduate. I was a communications major with a minor in journalism and the communications department at Georgia Southern University. Very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, I wound up going to work for this independent station and I didn't realize that because Georgia Southern was kind of a smaller program that I was trained. Like I could, I could handle the camera, I could handle the mic, I could cut film, I could cut tape, write both sides, do, be a script writer. I could do whatever you needed me to do. So at this internship, Karen Greer, who's still a star in Atlanta, she was the star anchor. And uh, 
she said, hey, I like this young boy. I like the way he writes. I want him only for me, you know? So uh, long story short, I had just signed a deal to go to France. And they begged me. They offered me a job as an associate producer. Now, the job only paid uh, $21,000. But that was a great entry-level job. Uh, I think if I wasn't a basketball coach, I probably would have stayed and been like a news anchor or a sports anchor. Or, I mean, that's, that's what time. I wanted to do. Yeah, and and you know what? It was crazy. That's when I really realized how deep sports and basketball was into me because because of because it was an independent station. And this this is unbelievable. This is why you really got to study what you want to do in life because it was an independent station. It wasn't a big organization so you had to do everything so my first story was a three-month-old baby starved to death in the Techwood homes and I had to go out with a cameraman and cover this story and you can imagine people in these apartments they mad the only time y'all come out here is when something bad happens and boom 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 and I had to go talk to these people and the family and then I had to go talk to the medical you know the examiner of corner downtown and he said to me it takes a baby three months to start, which means this baby hadn't been fed since it came home. I ain't sleep for a month. So I said, yeah, I, I can't do this for a living. My next story was uh, uh, a guy shot another guy in the head on Martin Luther King Boulevard. You know what I mean? So I didn't like what I found out about the news industry. I didn't like the way they bred you to look for negative things. You sat around and listened to a police scanner and then something bad happened. You know, somebody killed somebody, right? Nobody wants to cover the guy next door with a wife with five babies and a dog. And nobody won't cover that. But if somebody is beating his wife, hey, let's go cover it. I said, I can't do this in my life. If I can't, if I can't do sports, then I, I can't be in the in the news because it was just caused me. So if, if if I wasn't, I'm, I might have been uh, Charlton Young, uh, Channel 4 News. <laughs> that's funny to think about it. That is funny, but it's not surprising because one thing that's so good about you and even in your culture career is like you're an amazing communicator. Like, Absolutely. I can, Absolutely. So that doesn't surprise me at all. So what makes it worth it? What, what, make, what makes this profession worth it? all the sacrifices, all the time commitment. And obviously, like I said, you're very successful in it, but what makes it worth it? it number one is a disease, right? It's, it's a disease. Like I, I couldn't get rid of it. On Wednesday and Saturday, I need a game to go coach. And I, I love just helping people. You know, the relationships you build with the players, that bond is like unbreakable. Like some of them, the guys that I coached way back at Auburn, like Wes Flanagan. Like I coached Wes Flanagan. Wes Flanagan was my baby. He was crazy. He was a lot like shout you. Out, shout out to Wes. <laughs> Wes Flanagan, man, he was a, you know, when he first came in, he was like, uh, he was an amazing kid. Amazing kid. Uh, he was like a speeding bullet, man. Couldn't shoot it get downhill, dunk on you, pick up 94 feet. So I had to sell him, listen, let's work on your J. Let's get your mid-range. 
So he started knocking down mid-range J's, and before he left, we built him out to the three-point line. But I always used to tell him, great players play from six to eight feet, G. Great players get from six to eight feet, because he always, people would back off rules. He couldn't shoot. So he wanted to prove that he could shoot. I said, now play your game. We're going to start making threes, but play your game. So, man, long story short, he turned into a monster. He was always first or second in steals, first or second in assists. He got where he was hitting about 14, 15 points a game. But he could get to 8, 10 feet and just rise up over everybody. I can see him right now against LSU on the road going for 24 and 9. Me and him hugging and crying in the hallway because he had been struggling. And we had signed Moochie Norris, who was a gorilla. And he was afraid that Moochie Norris was going to take his spot. And so I had to fight Cliff Ellis. Nah, we got to play them together. You know what I mean? But he, he was my man because I had you know, recruited Moochie too. But, and then to see him turn into the man that he's become. Now, Coach, like that's, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like Marquise Daniels is on that staff. He was my baby. Reggie Shaw who's at North Carolina Central. I coached him at Auburn. Damian Fishback, who's on the SEC network, right? He's, I recruited him. He was, the, he was the Mr. Basketball in Kentucky. I put him in my Mitsubishi and played Biggie Smalls on his visit. He committed on the spot. We beat Louisville for him. You know, now he, he's a financial planner and he's on the SEC network. So to see the young men that I've coached become successful and that relationship you have with them, you know, the guys that I've recruited here now that are coaches or pros, you know, my relationship with Dwayne Bacon or Terrence Mann or Patrick Williams or Devin Vassell or Trent Forrest, like we, you know what I mean, that more fun do come together just when we see each other, that hug that we give. I mean, nothing, you know, that relationship, you, you just can't buy that. You know, you see big-time boosters, they spend a lot of money because they want to be close to it. You know, they can't, they can't, they want to be involved with it, but the closest they can get is to buy me a seat on this front row because they just want to be involved with it. But when you go through the trenches with a kid and help him to success on and off the court, you know, and they call you back and say, man, you know, I want you to be the godfather of my, my little man or I'm getting married. Coach, you better be at the wedding. Or coach, you, you the usher at the door. Like, that's the best thing about coaching, just being able to help people. You know, I can I can pick up the phone and recommend somebody for a job at at Apple, and they'll listen because I'm a coach at Florida State. That's crazy. You know what I mean? So it's just the relationships you build and being able to just help people. It's uh it's a special it's a special deal. I I I could never uh you know I I could never live without the profession. I am the job. I'm a cop. I am the job, you know what I mean? That's what I do, that's, that's my lifestyle. That's, I'll coach and I, I ain't gonna lie, you know? I'm not gonna lie. People always ask me, you gonna retire? That retirement is a trick. You know, you retire, ain't but one big event left. You know what I mean? <laughs> For me, I don't be like Jay Leonard Helms. I told him, I'm coaching till I'm 78. You know what I mean? I tell my players all the time, 84, I'm going to call three, three croak right on the sideline. <laughs> and if I croak, 
finish the game. Play <laughs> <me>. <laughs> hey, if I croak, don't stop right now. Win the game. Sweep me off after. <laughs> Run the lane. Box out, homeboy. <laughs> don't call the ambulance. <laughs> Make sure we win. <laughs> then get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm oh, coach. man. Now I think about shot, it. Man. I really believe. Contest the shot. Don't worry about me falling out. Contest the shot, Chief. <laughs> oh, man. Nah, that's yeah. true, though. I, I can see that. I'm visualizing yeah. that right now. I can't stop laughing. I'm visualizing that moment. <laughs> hey, man, you tell him I'm going to be so mad, man. Why you stop the game? We could have beat them boys. <laughs> Y'all boys got all focused, man. Worry about me, man. We could have won. <laughs> man, oh, man. man, real talk. That's how I feel about that, Chief. Hey, like Ford Gump. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> that's all I got. To nah, say. I love that. I love that. See, why? Well, what keeps you so grounded, man? What What keeps you humble? You know, I mean, what, like, really, man? Because, again, like, it's just unbelievable. You talk about championship, people win championships, you know, but, like, man, you you are a true champion, you know? Yeah. I mean, just your character in itself, you know? And so, like, what what keeps you, man, so so humble? I, I think um, just humble beginnings. You know, humble beginnings. You know, when you, when you, when you grow up and you're dreaming about, making it out of Carroll City and being able to take care of your mom and your dad, you know, your family. Um, you never forget where you came from, you know? And and I think that's very important to know where you come from and never and never forget. Um, so, you know, I understand how the game can give you a lot and I know how quickly the game can be taken away from you. And um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, I tell players this, recruits, you know, at the end of the day, nobody cares. Right? The worst thing about being the man or being the juice is you're going to wake up one morning and realize nobody cares. They're going to be on to the next guy after you. They're going to be cheering for him and they ain't going to remember your name. So you better use basketball don't let it use you prepare yourself for life after basketball and understand that this basketball window and stardom this is a short thing this is this is your first career we got to get you ready for your second career and your third career you know, keep your humility because at the end of the day nobody cares nobody cares and the quicker you realize that the quicker you'll be successful in this basketball. I see a lot of big-time players, they come into coaching, and they struggle. You know what I mean? You have to pull them aside and say, hey, man, that's over. <laughs> you know? I was in uh, I was in uh, Atlanta one time, right? And uh, I walked in my walk. I walked into uh, Starbucks. And I saw this big seven-foot dude at Starbucks. And I said, man, that's never nervous purpose. 
It was Curtis Ellison. And I watched the people in there. They was getting their coffee and they latte, latte. They didn't know who he was. I asked my kid, I said, you know who that is? My daughter's like, nah, man, I don't know who that is. That's never nervous Purvis. That's Purvis Ellison. He took Louisville to the final four as a freshman, 1985. Ain't nobody asking for no autograph. They said, oh, you're tall. How tall are you? But they didn't know who he was. They didn't know who he was. And if you're a basketball guy like me, you know, you get excited. You know, I'm like, never nervous, baby, what's going on? You know, you, you drop it. But I see that all the time in our in our profession. So you realize what's important, man, keeping your humility, treating people with respect. Um, people, what have you done for me lately, Coach? You better keep achieving now. You better keep moving forward. Keep evolving, keep getting better. You know, it's the same thing with coaches. You know, I see coaches that were head coaches and they did big time things. They get fired. Everybody just move on to the next guy. I mean, think about this. Rick Patino was at Louisville. He was the juice. Chris Mack got Louisville. Nobody talking about Rick Patino no more. <laughs> they still talking about Louisville and Chris Mack. But Everybody move on. You know, that's you gotta stay humble, man. You gotta keep your humility. You can't you can't get let your mind get messed up thinking you're bigger than you are. You know. At the end of the day, I just wanna be, you know, a nice guy. You know? <laughs> that's the humility right there. That's what I'm yeah, talking I about right there. <laughs> I, I just want them to say, hey, you know, Charles, you know, you don't see what I am. That's a good dude, man. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah, that, that was something that I uh, kind of realized early in my career. I mean, I'm two two years into my career, and I've already was like, you know, I'm, I need to make sure I stay grounded because, you know, I've already kind of experienced what it would be like that nobody cared about you. And, they was, <laughs> you know, you was just all that. And then it's just like, <laughs> all right, cool. Let me go ahead and get this down pat right now. Um, Real quick, see why. Um, can, can you highlight a moment? where you knew you had a future in this profession just that moment when you you just did something you're like wow like i'm i this coaching thing for me this college coaching thing for me yeah i can take yeah. it off that's a, that's a great question i would say uh maybe my first year i was the administrative assistant at Auburn, and i was very blessed to get that opportunity uh robbie lane Eugene Harris was there. He was, he was a mentor for me also. Uh, Eugene Harris was in the business a long time. And Cliff Ellis took a chance on a young guy. I was 21 years old. I had been back from overseas two months. He hired me. But that first year, I could tell uh, that the head coach started kind of gravitating to me because of my relationship with the kid. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> I just was having fun coaching the game. So, you know, I would play pickup with the kids and start putting uh, secondary break in, this and that, making them play right, the kids respecting me uh, because I could still play. You know what I mean? I was, I was the age. I can go in there and fight and tussle. I was, I was still dunking, Nick. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, so 
but we go into a game. We're, we're playing Arkansas. We're playing Arkansas with Nolan Richardson. They was rough. Corliss Williamson, Corey Beck, Scotty Thurman, they were rough. And uh, during the game in the huddle, I said, they living in our paint. They driving us. We got to do something to keep them out of our paint. So they were ripping us apart. And I just, in one of the huddles, I said, go 1-3-1. One, one. Go 1-3-1. One, one. They don't shoot it well. They need to change. Go 1-3-1. One, one. Nobody was listening. You know, I'm a young coach. I'm not even supposed to be talking about basketball. But in the huddle, I keep saying, go 1-3-1. One, one. Cliff, I was like, what are you talking about? I said, go 1-3-1. One, one. Go 1-3-1. One, one. They can't shoot a gun. They need to drive it. It'll make them think. We go 1-3-1, one, one, and we come from down, like, by nine and win the game. Arkansas, like, third in the country. But it might not have been the court. It was the Kareem Reed team. It was the Kareem Reed team, Brandon D, the little dude from New York. And uh, we won the game. So in, in, in the coach's locker room, we all celebrate, you know, all the coaches in there. And, again, I'm administrative assistant now. I'm not even supposed to be talking about basketball. And Cliff Ellis said, hey, you won the game tonight. Like, you got, you got big kahunas. Like, you won the game tonight. And after that, I said, you know what? I might be all right. <laughs> like, I, a, I might, this might be what I need to stick with. Uh, so, that, I think that was the moment where I realized I, I, I could make it. In, you know, I could do it at the highest level. So, the, the, the piggyback off that, though, real quick, see why. Because I think, you know, when you get into the profession young, and you have that one moment that, that a lot of us identify with, what would you say the biggest mistake, though, that young coaches make once that happens? Because he's some, I, I, like even myself, you know, we, we have that moment, and when we say, man, I belong, it don't always seem to be a smooth path going forward still. So what would you say? I mean, being in it for 26 years, what would you say – that biggest mistake you see amongst young coaches when they finally have that moment where they think they belong in this profession? That's a good, that's a great question. I, I would say, here's how I would answer that question. I think once a young coach starts to have some success, he seeps in entitlement. See, this is a, you, you, you are very fortunate to do what we do. Right, this is a privilege. You know what I mean? So when you start having a sense of entitlement that, you know, y'all should listen to me, y'all should do what I say, instead of being grateful for the opportunity and understanding this a privilege and say, okay, now I got to control my emotional intelligence. I'm gonna give suggestions. I'm gonna do things. I'm not the head coach. Right? You got to start learning the art of being an assistant. Right? I'm going to give you suggestions. Sometimes you take it, sometimes you don't. But I can't have an attitude when you don't take one of my suggestions. I got I to gotta keep a level of professionalism and continue to give suggestions, continue to coach, continue to help without it becoming adversarial or me getting my face tight, body language bad, and acting like the kids. I think that's the biggest mistake young coaches. And I, I went through that too. You know, I, I, I went through that. A lot of young coaches, they really mess up. They mess churches money up when they start doing that. 
I love it, man. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's tough for young coaches. Yeah. You got it. You got it. The word is mature. You know, maturity. People lose respect for you and your professionalism when you you act like your kids. You know what I mean? And it takes time to get there now. Took me a lot of time too. I ain't, I ain't judging nobody. I ain't talking to <laughs> my young days. I wasn't always, you know, I think back when I was at Paul Hewitt, man, when I see him, I try to apologize and man, I should have done a better job for you. You know, if I would know now, you know, then what I know now, I would have been so much better for him. You know, yeah. I, I do a I understand the art of being an assistant brother. Yeah. Uh, with Jalen yeah. and Hamilton, because I can help manage him and and say things the right way at the right time because I I've been a head coach. Right. I I've been in that spot. And a lot of people, especially assistants, they think, man, when you're assistant now, all that stuff you think it work when you're assistant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You move over one seat. Oh, these but different. Drop by hot now. Because <laughs> I lived it for four years. Mm -hmm. Can't get away from it. They talk yeah. about you on the message board. They talk about you on the radio, TV, newspaper. They killing you. You got to be able to handle that. It's, it's a tough deal. It's a, it's a maturity that takes time to get to. How'd you channel that when you was a head coach? Uh, Year one, I struggled with it. Year two, better. Year three, I turned the corner with it. Year three and four, I turned the corner with it. Uh, just had to block it out, concentrate on the main thing. You know, main thing, the main thing. Put your ego down. You know, be about winning. Be about the kids. Uh, can't let your ego get in the way. Sometimes your ego will kill you. Kill you. As a head coach, you gotta always be thinking, you know, and you gotta always, well, you gotta be a servant leader. You gotta be a servant leader, you gotta be a servant CEO. Love it, love it. Um, coach, what's what's a unique quality or gift that you have identified within yourself that you believe have attributed to your success as a coach? You know what? I I I would say uh Faith and confidence. Like I've, I've always believed that I, I was going to make it. I always believed that I was, I'm going to make the shot. I'm going to believe that I'm going to make it happen. I always believe we're going to win, right? I always believe that we're going to recover and come right back. And I think I have a unique ability to make the players believe and, and even make the coaches believe. You know, there's been some times I had to make Jalen and Hamilton believe. You know, like, Chief, I'm telling you, listen to me. <laughs> I'm telling you this from my soul. For some reason, I, I think that comes from my grandma Inez, uh, my, 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 my family, and just, over, just beating the odds, just overcoming. You know, a guy like me, I ain't never, I've never been overly talented my whole life. They said I was too skinny, too black, too ugly, can't make it. You know what I mean? They always D2 player, you know. They, I, I bought you from Opelaka, you know. 
Liberty City guys don't coach in the ACC. You know, I got people, I go back to Oberlock and Liberty City. Now, like, you know, let's see why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He coached at Florida State. They be like, at the school? Nah, man, nobody believe that. <laughs> man, oh, man. You know that, man. You don't coach at the university, at Florida State. You. <laughs> they don't have a clue. Because you're talking about people who've been in a rough situation their whole life. They're not used to things happening. I say, no, I say, why are you coaching Florida State? Coach the team on TV. <laughs> Ain't no way, man. Ain't no way. They check your background. <laughs> they know who your uncle is. Ain't no way those people hide you, man. Those people ain't do that. <laughs> no, man, I've been coaching for 26 years. I remember when you left with the friend, but I thought you were still in Europe, though. <laughs> As I do in my neighborhood, so. You know what I mean? But, but when you overcome that and you and you so you just believe you know what i mean you just believe i just i heard you know muhammad ali is one of my heroes love muhammad ali i think of muhammad ali you know jesus martin luther king muhammad ali in my in that order you know walking the face of the earth you know and i and i'll tell you why I'll tell you why. This is something I want to touch on because this really bothers me. And I want to say this to everybody. Uh, you know, you look at the Generation Zers and what they've started with the protesting and George Floyd. And uh, it seems like after the George Floyd, everybody magically realized that racial discrimination is wrong. <laughs> I mean, they just all of a sudden out the yeah. blue. Everybody remember that. Why is that? Why is that? I'm going to tell you why. And I ain't talking bad about nobody. I'm guilty. And it hurts my heart. But when Colin Kaepernick kneeled in 2016, something inside me told me to go out in the middle of the court and kneel. Right? Something inside me was telling me that. Colin Kaepernick going up on every office wall I have, going up in my house. That that dude and Muhammad Ali, which I'm about to touch on, they special, man. I didn't do it. I left Colin Kaepernick out there by himself. And you know why? Two words. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. I got a house in Atlanta that I own, that I moved my mom and dad into. I, I, got a, I got a wife and four babies I got to take care of. I, I help take care of both sides of my family. So now I'm thinking, there ain't many $350,000 jobs out here now. So self-preservation kicks in and I don't do it. So now everybody suffers from self-preservation and racial injustice just keeps rolling on down the road. Muhammad Ali risked it all. He didn't care about self-preservation. Colin Kaepernick, he gave it up all for the cause, and I respect that. And I wish that I would have done that. I hate 
I'm going at some point I'm gonna write a public letter, apology to Colin Kaepernick. Because we left him out here by himself. Everything that was going on right now, that boy was trying to tell us that in 2016. Absolutely. And then George Floyd gets killed and everybody magically realized racist racism is out here. It's bad. It ain't right. The Confederate flag, it's gotta come down. I used to be so mad when I saw the Confederate flag when I was close at Auburn because I knew a couple things. Number one, y'all lost the war. Take the flag down. <laughs> we can read and write and do arithmetic. Y'all lost the war. That's number one. Number two, they holding on to a heritage. People don't realize it was 11 states and it was only four years, Chief. What heritage? It was four years. But we finally stepped up and said, hey, this is wrong. Generation Z, you got to give them credit. They stepped up. This is wrong. You know what I mean? But I just hate that self-preservation is one of the main reasons that we still 450 years behind. That, 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 that bothers me, you know. And at some point, you know, I'm trying to figure out how can I make a difference? How can I do more, right? Through, through what I'm doing right now, at some point, you know, do more, do more, you know, get around self-preservation. Because if it wasn't for self-preservation, this energy we have around now, it wouldn't be going on properly, you know? And I'm, you know, I, I don't want to talk like it's the one thing I want to say about the movement that's going on right now, and I want to make sure I'm clear. Um, I love my white brothers and sisters. I love them. I got some white brothers and sisters in my life that are so special to me. Robert Allen Lane at Central Florida, man, it's like my stepfather. You understand? I got, but it's not white versus black, right? It's racist versus non-racist. You know, it's, it's ignorance versus practical intelligence, uh, common sense. Some things just ain't right. And if you just look at it and you use common sense for a man to kneel on a man's neck for eight, nine minutes, ain't right. Don't make sense. Got to go to jail. You know, so uh, yeah, I'm very, very encouraged about what's going on right now, especially because there's so much diversity involved in the movement now and the energy is something that, to be honest with, I thought I'd never see. Uh, but it ain't no doubt about it. You know, racism is the number one pandemic in the country. You know, COVID-19 is two. Uh, racism is one, and uh, I'm glad that it's, it's, it's starting to be addressed. God works in mysterious ways. I guess with COVID-19, everybody was locked down, and you had to see it. You wow. know where to go. You had yeah, to see no, it. I and uh, you know, I'm proud of my black, uh, my uh, my black brothers and sisters, but my white brothers and sisters that's getting involved and and using their voice. So I hope we can continue to to keep it moving forward and take some action in in every form uh, to make things better. Love that, Coach. Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely, man. We definitely appreciate you sharing your thoughts about that and about what's going on in the world.
But yeah. coach, I mean, as we as we wrap it up, um, this is one question now that that's going to be I know very big for me and each, and I think it'll be very big for our listeners. Um, obviously, you know our podcast here is called Black Excellence. You know, and for us, man, we we deem you know everyone that we bring on the show is as you know our worldly figures of royalty. You know, we you guys got the crown because you're you know you're at the top of the profession that you know her and I both are in. Um, and so with that being said, man, you you got the crown on the top of your head. I don't know, man. Now you do. Listen, listen, you got the crown on the top of your head. And at some, you know, obviously at some point, we know you're going to take that crown off and you're going to pass it to the next individual in our generation. And when you take that crown off, what would be the one message that you put in it to leave them with? Out of all the knowledge and all the things that you know you've been filled with uh, from so many people, as well as just your own professional and personal growth, when you take that crown off and that next person put it on his head to, to sit in that same seat that you that you're sitting in right now, what's what's going to be that that personal message? I think I would write on the inside, help them young Thundercats behind you, make them better than you. Hmm help them. You know, coaching is a rough profession because there is no curriculum. There is no book to teach you. There is no training course. So you learn everything trial and error. You know, they say I'm I'm one of the best out here. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I think I just made more mistakes than everybody <laughs> you know I mean? and was able to bounce back from it. So I try to help guys coming behind me because I, I want I don't want y'all to make the mistakes I made and I want you to get where you should go faster because you got somebody giving you the GPS. Yeah. Every generation is supposed to get better, man. I, I want to see these guys be way better than I was. I did it, but you know, I've, I've been doing it 26 years. You know what's crazy? I've been doing it 26 years and to be honest with you, I feel like I'm just getting started. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm just really getting to the point of all the lessons I've learned where I truly understand it and I can really help these young men develop heart, mind, body, and soul, you know, coach the spirits and their hearts. And I, I, I think that's that's very important. I, the, the one message I would leave is to, to help the young coaches behind you evolve quicker. I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories. Real quick, guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join or if you got any questions, hit me up.